Hi, and welcome to another episode of Five Good Thoughts. Today, we are joined by David Miranda for Five Good Thoughts on Worship. David, thank you for being with us today. Yeah, Jack, thanks for having me. It's a blessing to be with you. Absolutely. David is uh, uh, coming to us as both a pastor at the Promise Church and as the Director of Ministers Development and Missional Network at Texas Baptist. Your work is expansive and great, and we thought you'd be a wonderful voice uh, to have this discussion on worship. So without further ado, lead us in five good thoughts on worship, starting with number five. Great. Well, uh, to kick it off, I think um, just answering why it matters. Why does worship matter? And for one, I just want to preface everything by saying that I'm not a, I'm not a worship leader. I am not uh, what you would, I guess, traditionally call, um, I guess I'm not a singer. Um, I'm not a motivator in that sense. But I think that's part of the reason why I wanted to have this conversation, because mm. I think a lot of times we kind of put worship in a box, at least in our context, uh, but the reality is that it, why this conversation matters is because everyone worships, you know, everyone, uh, even uh, those who claim a lack of belief in God uh, still worship something. And so if you look at the definition, uh, just if you Google the definition of worship is respect and admiration or devotion uh, to an object of esteem. So really, it doesn't matter if you have a particular religion that you follow, I mean, it still goes back to the fact that every single one of us worships. Mm -hmm. And so just to kind of back that up biblically, you also look at Romans uh, chapter one, where it talks about, you know, how, you know, God kind of let humanity, you know, just kind of run free. And he says uh, that they chose to worship things that were created versus the creator. Yeah. And so, so I think that's why it matters. Why, uh, while I'm not what you would call a worship leader traditionally in our context, um, uh, I do think that worship still matters for us all. Um, and kind of uh, another scripture verse that I'd like to use is uh, Ephesians 5, uh, 5, uh, 19. And so it says, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs uh, and spiritual songs, singing and making melodies with your heart to the Lord. And so I think this is traditionally what we have ascribed to be worship in, in our context. But really, um, worship is, uh, number one, is uh, starting with five, is uh, worship is Christ at the center. Uh, and that's the way that the New Testament was thinking about worship. The fact that God became a man is reason enough for us to worship. So his manifestation um, on earth, uh, walking among us, showing us how to live, that should be the center of our worship. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Thank you for, for beginning with the, the why, because so often we do jump right into the, the what. Um, yeah. And if, if Jesus isn't the center of our worship, um, I, one of our, our professors, Kimlin Bender, talked about that the center holds if the center is Jesus. And if it's not, then the center won't hold. And that, that's just a wonderful imagery, I think, of worship there. So number four. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also kind of tying to that, you know, the worship being gospel centered. So if our worship um, and again, kind of breaking this apart uh, a little bit more is that um, I think it's worship is not just the singing and proclamation through song but rather it's the way we live our life out. So we have to also ask what is an acceptable worship 
you know, and so it means engaging with God and we doing so not so much in our terms, but rather it's what are God's terms for worship? You know, how is he making worship for us possible? You know, worship involves uh, honoring, serving, respecting him uh, and all these things, but also, uh, I guess, eliminating anything that gets in the way, anything that is uh, hindering our devotion to him and the exclusive relationship we can have with him. And so a, a, a verse in the Bible that I um, have really kind of set my, my um, I guess, my whole ministry on is Isaiah 58, where uh, Israel is wanting to, uh, they humble themselves before the Lord, they fast before the Lord, and the Lord's not listening. And so they go back to God and they're, they're wondering, God, why aren't you listening to me? What, you know, we've, we've fasted, we're hungry. We've done all these things that you, um, you know, that, you know, you typically ask for, uh, but why are you not listening to us? And so God responds to them. And what he says to them is, uh, what is the fast that I want? You know, you're giving me the fast that you want, but what's the fast that I want? And so he kind of lists uh, different things in uh, Isaiah 58, verse 7, where he says, is, is the fast that I want not that you care for the poor or give shelter to the foreigner or that you clothe the naked? Um, and then it says, only then, only then will your, your light break forth like the dawn. So again, uh, worship being this gospel-centered picture, not just strictly in song, but also in the way we practice our life with the foundation of asking um, what is the worship that God wants versus the worship that I want. Man, that's really great. Yeah. That, that pushes against, I think some of our tendencies to really not only compartmentalize worship to a very specific spot in place and time and, but also high, uh, highlight our personal preference in saying, if this is worship, then my personal preference for worship is even more important because it's one hour of the week. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You kind of, you kind of compartmentalize your life. And I think that's exactly what Christ was against. You know, it's uh, he was a, an all in type person, you know, like he's, he's inviting us that every aspect of our life uh, is surrendered to him. And so I, I was doing, um, I had a conversation on discipleship on Monday at one of our church planning centers that we're a part of. Um, uh, and so it kind of talked about how discipleship kind of begins with salvation, but then it goes into sanctification and how it, it kind of paints an image of a house with different rooms. And so the goal of discipleship is that every room then is surrendered, you know, starting with your finances, uh, going on with your marriage, uh, with your children, the upbringing, and so it's kind of like going through every room in the house and then saying, hey, this room now is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's filled with the Lord. And so I think that's, that's the same thing our worship should be doing is how is the song, how, how are the songs that we sing bringing life or speaking of the life, death and resurrection of Jesus? But then also how is, how is everything that I do speaking the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and how he makes worship possible? Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. All right. Pressing on number three. All right. Awesome. So I think uh, another thing that is uh, fundamental to worship is how Jesus removes any sense of tradition that we may have. And I think with this kind of lies the, the tradition of preference, right? Mm -hmm. We're all so, um, I, I think, 
at least in our in our generation, worship or the the style of worship or the preference of worship again in, in the traditional sense has been a reason why people move back and forth to different churches. And so I think here Jesus kind of sets us free from that because even for the Israelites, the way he, you know, he came and died for us and the way he changed the way that we approach God, it's the same way that now, like, we need to, to remember that through our worship, you know, because the, of the uniqueness and the completeness of the work of Christ, I mean, there's no longer a need for a human priesthood or for a sacrificial system or sacred buildings or things like that. And so, so now, you know, the pastor in a church matters, but he's not the priest, right? Christ is the high priest. The architecture of the church matters, but again, the, the building in of itself is not a sacred space. You know, same thing with like the Lord's Supper, you know, it's not a sacrifice. So Christ then becomes our high priest. He becomes our temple and our sacrifice. So all this kind of changes and it almost kind of, uh, it eliminates this uh, burden of preference. And it's almost like, you know, what what is, it, it kind of put, brings back the question to what is worshiping in the spirit and truth? Man, what a what a wonderful phrase about a burden of preference that that so often we I think we think of our preferences what lifts us up that we love something and it, that's what lifts us up whether that's contemporary or traditional or chanting or whatever it is you can fill in the blank liturgical or mm-hmm. not a lecture uh, but to to phrase it as a burden is I maybe a better way of thinking about it because <laughs> at that point what what truly as we elevate preference we're 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 changing what's being worshipped at the altar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah, and I think part of my formation kind of led to a, a lot of realization of this. Um, I don't know if you knew, but I pastored a church in downtown Dallas uh, when I was I started when I was 21. Uh, we didn't have a building. Uh, we just met outdoors with the homeless. And so I think that really redefined for me what church even is. You know, we um, we were out there in the elements, no building again. Um, it, it, we tried to, again, be as conventional as possible just for the sake of our humanity. But at the same time, we realized that our spirit didn't need all these other things. Mm. If we were together, uh, Christ was with us, you know. And so that kind of also changes like different different terms that we have, like entering into worship or lingering in his presence. Those those things kind of change because if if we're really living a lifestyle of worship, it's not like we enter into worship, but rather it's we're living out worship through our lives. And so I, I think that's something else that I think we might need like a, like a quick reset, you know, uh, sometimes yeah. in, in, in the way we've thought about doing worship at church. Yeah, no, that's a good word there about it necessitates a change of language, uh, yes. of getting rid of some of our verbiage so that we might have better ideas in our in our people that we're, we're leading might have better ideas. Amen. Amen. So number two, hit us with number two. All right, then we kind of uh, diving into, I already kind of talked about like the, I feel like I focused on the individual aspect of worship, but also there's a sense of collective worship, you know, that um, I I guess it's this picture of vertical 
worship, you know, me and God, but also the horizontal worship of um, how are we together coming together uh, to worship God. And so uh, I think now um, that what's the main goal of us coming together on Sundays to worship God? Could you not just worship God again on a Saturday on your own? But I think ultimately, like the goal of that still is edification. You know, how is how is our coming together edifying us? So there's certain things that I can do on my own um, at home uh, or Monday morning that I that I don't get the benefit um, of having like a Sunday morning gathering. And so yet that's the same thing, you know, so Martin Luther was, was someone who was very fond of corporate worship and he found it. He kind of described it kind of like an awakening of a spiritual fire. So if during the, the week, you know, you're kind of drained, the goal of coming together is that others kind of ignite your fire together. And so that's one aspect of it. But then also you kind of look at corporate worship as kind of like an anticipation or like a precursor of what's going to take place in heaven. So uh, Colossians 3.16, it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs uh, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And so again, it's, it's this picture of one, uh, yes, worshiping God, but also an aspect of worship is admonishing one another in wisdom. And so again, the, the, the benefit of worshiping together. Yeah, that's really, you know, it's funny because in COVID, we learned that Church is not the building, and maybe we always knew that, but <laughs> we weren't good at it. Yeah. Um, but also, I, I do think it helps us recognize that something really is important happening at the building, that that we need each other um, in an incarnational way. Our God is an incarnational God, and we are an in, you know incarnational people. We need that collection that something does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's okay to recognize. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, here we go. Five good thoughts on worship. Here's number one. All right. So these aren't set by preference or, or by priority, but I think, um, I think the last one has to deal with worship express, uh, as an expression. So again, kind of tackling this um, aspect of preference. And the reason I say that is because I think... Um, I think there is something to um, to the way we worship and like the expectations that sets uh, for our people, right? I think in spiritual formations, when we talk about spiritual formations, everything we do during the service uh, creates an expectation. So like what I mean by that is like if you if you don't read your Bible or open your Bible during the service and read from the scriptures, um, I think that kind of sets an expectation at home. So I probably don't have to do that at home or I'm less likely to do that at home. If we don't pray for one another at church together or, or come together at some point during the week, it's less likely for me to pray for my, my members or like uh, the other members in the body um, at home during the week. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. So then I think worship to kind of like the way we worship um, from the stage now is uh, is also a reflection of an expectation that's created later on um, that, that this is how we do worship. So I think being clear on 
like that that worship expression is so important uh for our lay people yeah that's really good i i'm sitting here thinking about all the work that you do that that so for for our listeners david's involved with uh our gen z and, and millennial group of uh, young ministers and and in in listening to their stories and helping them tell their stories and also just seeking to see what God is doing. Uh, and, and I think this conversation about worship and in preference, it is, it is up and down the board. When you start doing intergenerational work, um, it is funny like how, how that colors our interpretation generationally of our mm-hmm. experience but then also, like you said, the expectations that that sets for our people when they go home. Mm-hmm. And if we can demonstrate, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Tell me if I'm wrong here. No, but if we're, right. demon- exactly right. if we're demonstrating, even as, as pastors and clergy, a release of personal preference intergenerationally, that we may be actually modeling something that can be taken home yeah. uh, for our folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's also like um, God has gifted us with music, kind of like an opportunity for us to kind of like draw people in. And I think at least my particular denomination hasn't done a great job with that recently, um, because I I think um, it's such a tool. Like if you look at um, one of the things I've found lately, like in scripture is, for instance, Nebuchadnezzar, right? We see him as this like terrible human being, which he probably was, <laughs> but he did what he did well was like he was gifted at conquering kingdoms, right? Mm-hmm. He would he conquered empires and whatnot. And so what he would do to maintain the peace or at least the, the appearance of peace is that he would bring in these younger people and then bring them and teach them the ways of the Babylonians. Mm-hmm. And through that was kind of um, was the arts, right? Both literature but I'm, I would imagine that also music, right? And that was so, so important to kind of shape them to be like good citizens in Babylon. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would also, uh, I mean, he would, he would give them the best education, but also give them a, a seat at the table. Uh, and so ultimately it kind of ended with that. So yeah, he's a terrible human being prior to, you know, Yahweh like humbling him. But at the same time, like there's something, there's something there, I think, you know, from like a conqueror of kingdoms of how you kind of give these these younger folks, uh, I guess, the DNA of, I guess, of your, of who your church is, your identity, and it comes through the arts, right? That's part yeah. of it. And so if we're neglecting the arts, both visual and also auditory, then I think we're failing to really, you know, capture this generation. Wow. That's well said. I thank you so much, David. Uh, man, I could talk to you all day, uh, but for for our listeners' sake, we'll we'll stop it at that. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you so much for the invite. God yeah. bless, man. Thanks, and uh, for all you guys listening, uh, thanks for tuning in to Five Good Thoughts. We look forward to next time that we're together.